You're listening to Denver Orbit. Episode 23. Breaking down and building up. Hello, and welcome to Denver Orbit, an audio magazine featuring voices, stories, and music from Colorado's creative community. I'm your host, Josh Madison, and I'm recording this from December of 1982, inside of the Walkman of a 13-year-old as he gazes out the window of a Greyhound bus making its way down a lonely Nebraska highway. Before we start the show, I'd like to thank Kelly Shortenqueer for organizing an amazing Denver zine fest. Also, I'd like to thank Shannon Geis for being there, recording people, and explaining the show to everyone stopping by better than I ever could. If you told a story at our booth, thank you. We got some great stories from people, and we'll be featuring those stories in an upcoming episode. We had a blast meeting all kinds of new people and seeing so many wonderful zines that people are making. It truly was an inspiration. Today, we've got a few things for you to listen to. Skylar Heck, who makes music under the moniker of Feather, breaks down a brand new song of his, and Rachel Trignano, an amazing storyteller and an all-around great person, stopped by to spin a yarn for us. But before we begin, though, if you're enjoying the show and you want to support it somehow, there's a few ways you can do this without spending a dime. A no-cost solution, if you will. Number one, you can go on over to Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you're using and leave us a rating and a review. I understand that the more of these the show gets, the more people get exposed to it. So, warm up your typing fingers and get to clickety-clacking. Also, and this one may be more effective, tell a friend, or two, heck, even three. Studies have shown that personal recommendations carry more weight than anything else. What studies, you ask? I don't know, I just made that up, but it sounded good, didn't it? Now, let's get on with the show. I met up with Skylar Heck recently to talk to him about his new track, Still as Ice. We decided to break down this track song exploder style. So, here's Skylar Heck talking about Feather and Still as Ice. My name is Skylar Heck. I'm a Denver local electronic music producer, remix artist, uh, live electronic musician, DJ that goes by Feather. That's F Ether. I came up with that name trying to find a way to embody the the actual ether, that spirit, the unknowing. I was inspired by the concept of this sort of almost fifth element that we can't really explain, but I didn't want to fully take that identity as my own. So that's why I hyphenated the name the way it does, the F-Ether. Pronounce it as feather, it creates the lightness of the feather itself, but still embodies all those tones. Um, I really pay attention to that when I'm working on my music as well. I try to really dive deep into the concepts of what I'm working with and embody what it is that I'm trying to convey through instrumental electronic music. As a musician, um, I, I came from a family of musicians. My dad was a musician. My grandma just kind of seems to be in the blood, more or less. Always had a fascination with it. I started learning how to play drums at a young age, always dabbled on the keyboard and wanted to learn how to do it, but never really had any formal training. So I've just been doing doing my best. Um, 
for as long as I have been and always, always learning on my own and taking, taking that next step to really figure out what it is that I do. Um, I fell in love with electronic music at a young age. And so I wanted to figure out how, how to make that happen. And so like a lot of producers do, what you do is start getting into hip hop and rap and producing for your friends with your rap groups in high school or what have you. And that's that's definitely influenced my music a lot. And I want to be able to embody that through my music as well. My newest track is called Still Is Ice. And where that comes from is a poem and a photo and a social media post that my brother had posted close to a year and a half, two years ago maybe. The image that he had posted is a picture of a frozen creek that was by the house that he and I used to live at up in up in the mountains. But what he did with that photo is he took a picture of the frozen stream and you can see the top layers and the bubbles and the the different layers of the stream that were frozen on top, yet you can still see the water current flowing underneath. Um, there's some, some pine needles frozen in there and it just kind of creates this image much like a a sumonogashi sort of image in the way that it's layered there, which is really cool. That in and of itself is really inspiring. He did write a little poem with that, which was a commentary on the current state of society and politics and things like that. And I, I really appreciated his approach to that. The poem is, is as follows. With all the chaos happening, I hope that one day we can be still as ice. Then we can reflect on who we are and what we have done. After that, we will break away and growth will flow like a steady stream. What I really tried to do is take his inspiration for that poem and his artistic application and use it in my song itself. So I wanted to create this sort of commentary through instrumental electronic music where I embody this tension, but still the stillness of the ice is present and almost create a, a, a contrast. The idea is to create a discord between the stillness and the tension. Uh, the stillness might represent day-to-day -day life, the monotony of things like that, how everything may seem calm in your immediate surroundings, but there is still tension that we see on a global scale, whether it be in politics, social interactions, even things on a local level, but that might not be as immediately present. I try to embody that overall. Um, by creating a melancholy tone throughout the entire song, but I made it upbeat in a tense sort of way. Um, what I tried to do is, for the genre, create something that was a little more structurally complex, um, using different timings, rhythms, things like that that aren't quite as common in my vein of electronic music. What I tried to do with this song and the way that I started it is embody the nature of the image and the poem that inspired the entire thing. Right out the gate with this song, what we do is we, we hear these claps. The way that I've designed them and processed them, I try to emulate a, a digital version of the, the cracking of ice, much like it sounds when you're stepping on it, when it cracks on its own as it heats in nature. I threw some echoes on it and some delays and I panned them out and there's a few different clapping sort of sounds to represent those different types of cracks that you would hear throughout ice in nature as it breaks apart. 
at the same time, keeping that in mind, I also wanted to make something digital. So there's the effects on it and the way it kind of processes digitally and gets grainy in on itself. You can you can hear that. And it's a digital embodiment of what really kind of inspired the song. With the synth bell that I created throughout this song, I wanted to create an overall cold and almost icy feeling tone throughout the melody. This is the predominant melody throughout the song and it evolves as the song does. It carries it in a way and it adds onto itself, always maintaining that similar melody but evolving as the song progresses. The point of this is to create a new layer of depth in the same way that ice would layer upon itself and refreeze and melt and refreeze again in it. Much like you can see the layers of earth when you're digging through it, you see that with ice too as it refreezes on itself. So I added to the melody and tried to create new layers without intruding too much on the ones that were already there and still paying attention to those. It builds in a slow way. You can kind of see it adding onto itself as the song begins, but the differences between the first chorus and the third chorus, for example, it's gonna have the same melody, but there's new tones in there and some of the other tones are subtracted, as I mentioned, in the same way that ice will melt and refreeze on itself. I try to keep it off kilter and represent that same sort of way that ice may not always seem to have a pattern, but like anything in nature, it is present. It just might not be immediately obvious. Normally, when listening to drums within a piece of music, they're the driving component, they're the, they're the structure, they're what the listener can really grab onto um, for that skeleton almost, what they can follow. And through that, I tried to take them out of their context and have them still create that driving tone, but in an unpredictable way. What I'm doing with that is creating a musical representation of the way that ice can be sturdy and you can step on it at the same time if you're not able to see through it, you never know when it might cave. You're not sure how stable the ice actually is that you're walking on. It could be six feet thick, it could be two inches thick, you don't know. And is that gonna hold your body weight? You're not really sure. You can't see what's beneath the surface, but it depends on how you approach it. I really try to bring the listener into that in the way that the pattern of the drums change frequently. It's an unpredictable structure and it creates a cautious approach. I do have three different types of kick drums in this, for example, to create that emphatic hit. One of those specifically, I do have it randomly panning out and it's very subtle, but this 
is much like the way if you drop something on a large lake that's frozen, the the echo will sort of bounce around in a in a panned out sort of way. I add emphatic kits to emphasize those big crunches, those big steps, but at the same time have a rhythmic structures going on beneath that. I do also have a subtle sound that it's an almost secondary melody underneath the surface. What I did, this was a happy accident. I was recording and I had a remote for my lights sitting on top of my audio interface. And when I pressed it, I accidentally got some interference in the recording. And so what I did was I processed that and resampled it to a point that it creates that cold cutting icy feeling that one would picture when you, you pick up an icicle or a shard of ice. It, it cuts through. At the same time, I layered it within the song very subtly so it's not immediately noticeable to the listener. It does cut through if you hone in on it, but it is more so a subconscious secondary melody that carries the song in the way that the listener isn't immediately aware of. I did reprocess that in a very different way that cuts through a little bit more shrilly. I did pan that out to create that, that secondary sharp tone and had fun with the way that that moves. In that, there are pieces within the song where I panned it out to make it a little more noticeable in the way that it will eventually be layered with other components of the song. What I did with the bass design of this track was use that as the driving component instead of the drums. Um, it's something that's a little more predictable to the listener that they can kind of latch onto. And I intentionally used warmer tones to emulate the way that somebody would be out in the cold and thinking about getting back to their house, their hearth, the fire, something warm. And so I used warmer tones to represent that in a way that the listener will follow that like you would follow that idea back to your house as you're trekking, trekking through the cold on a snowy day or what have you. What I'm doing with that is trying to keep the listener from trailing off into the icy vastness of these other tones that I've created and really draw them into something that they can they can hold on to and feel comfortable sitting in. You can hear that in the way that the chorus is written, the way that the, the bass is warm and inviting, but not too overpowering despite its large presence. In the verse, for example, I still have that warm tone, but I start to add a little bit of grit to it as the verse progresses in an attempt to foreshadow the bridge. What I do in the bridge itself is create a grittier and less stable approach to what it is that is the main piece that the listener can grab onto. I use a lot of pitch bends and almost slide sort of sounds in the sound design in addition to grittier textures that almost kind of cut through. This is meant to disorient the listener and cause you to really think about what it is that you're looking forward to and for example maybe be being caught up in a, a, the thick of the storm and not really sure which direction you're heading but still trying to keep why you're heading back to where you're heading 
in mind. This secondary synth tone that I designed follows the baseline in a way, but it does add a cold texture. As I was designing that, I started out with the initial sine wave and it felt too soft, so I wanted to create something that was a lot airier, a bit colder, but still follows that hearth. And the point of that is to create a bit of contrast. Um, I wanted to create a tone that the listener will think of as if it was wind while you're sitting around that fire inside, but you're hearing the wind howling outside. You wouldn't really be as aware of that if you're in the, in the wind outside, but you will notice it from insides. So I did some panning effects and some, some playing with the way that the sound moves and carries to create a tone that sounds like it's shaking, shaking the windows or cutting through those cracks in the doors and the windowsill. So it follows the baseline to create that contrast and almost that secondary awareness of that. Another side of that tone is that I want to make sure that the panning and the way that it does surround the listener makes it seem the same way that a wind would surround you without being too caught up in it. I did add a recorded moaning sort of sound underneath there. That's an additional contrast to that bass line. It's adding to the wind sort of sound that you would hear because wind does often sound like it's moaning. As an instrumental electronic musician, I do try to bring in these elements that are a little more recognizable, those human touches that don't quite exist in digital sound design and production. And this was my way of doing that. I reversed it, I processed it, I added some layers, I pitched it down, I made it so that it's it's taken out of its original context, but it's still recognizable as a human element and try to bring that side into what I do as an electronic musician because it's not as present. As with the moan sample, this is another way to bring in that human element that isn't exactly there through digital sound design. It creates a human aspect in a more connected and less removed sort of way than the moan sample itself did, but it's also a commentary on the way that haze and barking and yo and that sort of backing track will be present in hip hop and rap music. It's something that adds emphasis without being in the foreground. And it's again, me recognizing where I come from as a producer and electronic musician. I, I want to be able to show my respect in that regard, but do it in a new and different sort of way as an electronic musician versus hip-hop producer, for example. Overall, when I'm working on these sounds, I design them individually because I have very specific intentions behind why I want them to sound the way they do. However, I do make sure certain elements play off of each other. The drums and the bass, those need to make sure that they work well together without fighting, in a sense. And I do make need to make sure that everything pieces well together as a whole. 
Um, it's much like rather than just assembling a puzzle, but actually crafting the puzzle pieces to fit together the way you need to. There's a lot of EQing and sound design and digital processing throughout that. And some of these elements, when you listen to the song as a whole, they get lost. And I understand that. But if you do hone in on them and you are aware there that those elements are there, it's it's almost this art of subtlety, like that secondary med- melody with the remote buzz. It carries, but the listener isn't quite sure why it does. That's one of my favorite things to do with music is to pick apart all these little elements that might not be immediately aware, but that are a very crucial part of the song. Dissecting that and taking some of these elements out, you realize how much actually goes into refining a song as a whole. And now, Feather with Still as Ice.
With music as deeply connected to nature as the tree-laden mountains he calls home, Colorado musician Feather has found a way to digitize the organic. But the concrete jungle has influenced his music just as powerfully, harboring a style all his own. Not often after a show does the audience know how to classify his branch of electronic music as it tends to be a juxtaposition of things they haven't experienced before and things they have, presented in a way they never imagined. Although melodic, beat-influenced music and intricate compositions are where Feather sharpens his edge. Remixes are no daunting task to this producer, having been previously recognized by A-Track and Fool's Gold Records for his grand prize-winning remix in Grand Marnier's 2015 blend-out competition, Feather has gained traction as more than just another DJ in the electronic and beat scenes. Local publications have even gone as far as calling him, quote, an experimental electronic dance music legend in the making, end quote, and his audiences have taken note of that as well. Tom Murphy, Queen City Sounds and Art. Feather creates a unique live performance through his use of his experience as a producer, DJ, songwriter, and lifelong instrumentalist. He bridges the gap between what is tangible and what is ethereal through a melodic portrayal of abstract ideology, complex emotions, and the human condition in a way that words simply cannot grasp. You can find more of Feather and Skylar Heck online at feather.com, that's f-e-t-h-e-r.com, and at Bandcamp, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And of course, we'll have links to all of that in the show notes. Up next is a friend of the show, Rachel Trignano. Rachel is a, you know what, let's just let her go ahead and introduce herself. Uh, hi, I'm Rachel Trignano. I'm a Denver-based writer, and I will be reading a story called Southside that I wrote uh, for a show that I co-produce here in Denver called Write Club. It takes place first Thursdays every month at Syntax Physic Opera. Check it out, writeclubdenver.com. And without further ado, here is Southside. When my husband, Hamilton Whitney III, that's Hamilton Whitney of the Savannah Whitneys, not the Macon Whitneys and certainly not the Roanoke Whitneys. Anyhow, when Hamilton told me we'd be selling Shady Pines, our grand estate in Atlanta, to move to Chicago, the only thing I can remember is the sound of shattered glass as I dropped my great Grammy Ma's Waterford egg dish on the floor of the butler's pantry. Here was my husband of some 20 years telling me we were selling the home my ancestor Frederick Douglas Pritchett had built for us with his hard-earned cotton money. The home my great-great-grandmammy saved from that scoundrel Sherman and his devil's torches. If I weren't a lady, I'd spit. I asked Hamilton how he could do such a thing to our family, and he said what he usually says in times of hardship or inebriation. Mary Alice, we just need to let go and let God. Now, I don't know what preacher at Peachtree Hills Baptist has been filling his head with that nonsense, but I said, Hamilton, you can let go and let God. I'm going to get my hair done. Personally, I blame Jimmy Carter. Ever since that vile man betrayed his southern roots and moved into the only White House I can't say I much care for, and as a Democrat, no less, all hell is broken loose in the Whitney household. I think that's why Hamilton got caught doing the shameful thing he did. He was with the Coca-Cola company for 18 years, and a few months back he was caught selling their trade secrets to Pepsi. But thank the Lord, the Carter administration is almost over, and perhaps some order will be restored into our fair nation when it is. 
Now there's some talk of a Yankee actor putting his nomination for the presidential bid on the Republican ticket, but I can't imagine the American public being so foolish as to elect some half-wit TV personality into the Oval Office, let alone someone whose sidekick is a chimpanzee. But politics aren't really any of my business anyway. It's just so common. I have to focus on the matter at hand, which is carrying on our family name in hostile and no doubt poorly decorated territory. I know Northerners think they're better than everybody else, and as God is my witness, I'd sooner die than have Yankee neighbors look down on me. That's why as soon as we meet, I'll be sure to tell them my daughter, Lisa Bonet Whitney, named for the Louisiana Bonets on my granddaddy's side, of course, was the star of her Pettifors, Pinafores, and Petticoats-themed debutante at the Capital City Club last May. That will be sure to impress them. Oh, what an unforgettable night. The club invited Atlanta's finest citizenry to deck themselves out in their best white attire and welcome our little magnolias into high society. There was some unfortunate confusion when the invitations were sent, though, and before the night was over, the debutante ball became more of an ad hoc Ku Klux Klan rally. Oh, did we have a laugh over that silly misunderstanding. Anyhow, when I told Granddad Bonet back in New Orleans about our ineluctable move, he was stunned. But he regained his composure quickly, as a true Southern gentleman would. Why, when Lisa was just a little wisp of a honeysuckle, she asked Granddaddy how we came into our family fortune, and wouldn't you know without missing a beat, he simply said, Trade. We figured we'd explain when she's older, or never. Granddaddy Bonet asked me in his sweet Louisiana accent, what in God's name would Hamilton be doing in Chicago, Illinois, since Coca-Cola washed their hands of us? I explained he'd be working for the Wrigley Gum Company. Granddaddy said he didn't care for a name that sounded so vulgar, and I'm inclined to agree. My sister, Bootsy, was hardly sympathetic, surprise, surprise. She called us traitors, completely disowned us, and said she'd be sure her children, Samuel, L, and Jackson, never spoke to us again. My sister, Nipsey, however, was a touch more forgiven. She said, you know, Butterfly? That was my pet name growing up. Atlanta's been plagued with the Yankee carpetbaggers since the first Johnson administration. If there was ever any way to finally close ranks on the Union, it would have been by sending a Confederate daughter their way. Now go on and kill them with kindness. I asked Nipsey, if you call a Yankee in the South a carpetbagger, what do you call a Southerner in the North? She said lost, I reckon. Well, I'm no bumpkin, and I certainly don't want to appear lost when I show that Northern town what for. And the first order of business is finding somewhere decent to live. The other day, my neighbor Mary Sue Whitney, no relation, she's from Alabama, the pitiful thing, told me there are plenty of neighborhoods in Chicago full of people with good lineage and substantial means. Then she went on to name them. Lincoln Park. Grant Park. And I said, Mary Sue, if you think I'm going to live anywhere near Ulysses S. Grant or some peace from your war of northern aggression park, you are mistaken. I am a southerner by birth and a southerner I shall remain. So when I heard Chicago had a south side, I knew that's where we belonged. Now, I've heard some untoward rumors about the south side of Chicago. And this may shock you, but I'm far more progressive than my sisters. For example, I always make it a point to say how do to my driver when he takes me to the United Daughters of the Confederacy meetings. And I always said thank you to my gardener, Richard, prior to my firing him for stealing two of my silver teaspoons. Of course, it turned out they were just being polished by our maid, whose name I can't recall, but that's all water under the bridge. It turns out Mary Sue has a wealth of information about that strange land, which of course makes me suspicious of her. She said I should try reading the news, and I told her I always read the society section of the Atlanta Journal. Everything else is just a headache. 
We were sitting on Mary Sue's veranda when she told me about Redline and something for which the South Side is apparently infamous. I assume this has something to do with lipstick, but I fully expect the Northerners to be tacky so they can line their lips in chartreuse for all I care. She also started to mention something about groups of people walking around with guns and defending their territory, but at that moment Richard went by in the lawnmower. He's working for Mary Sue now, so I couldn't hear it. It's no matter, though. As a Southerner, we fully support the right for all Americans to bear arms and protect what is rightfully theirs. Besides, all the men in my family are full-fledged members of the NRA, and I'm sure Hamilton would just love to show off his collection of antique dueling pistols to some new faces. You know, I really think things are going to go well for us in the south side of Chicago. After all, they have a junior league chapter that's even older than ours. And when I'm through with it, you can rest assured the south side shall rise again. Rachel Trignano is a writer whose work has appeared in print anthologies, radio broadcasts, podcasts, art installations, and on stage across the U.S. since 2010. She is currently a fellow in Seattle's Jack Straw Writers Program, where she is writing a collection of essays about family, memory, and the changing of truth over time. Rachel is also a co-producer of Right Club Denver, a literature as blood sport, taking place the first Thursday of each month at Syntax Physic Opera. Learn more about her work at racheltrignano.com. Also, stay tuned to this program as we'll have more from her very, very soon. And that's it. Don't forget, you, yes, you can submit something to the show, anything you want. We're pretty open around here. Just email us at denverorbit at gmail.com or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash denverorbit and, of course, on Instagram at Denver Orbit. If you like looking at weird and delightful things on the internet, by the way, that Instagram page is probably just right for you. Denver Orbit is produced, edited, and sound designified by me, Josh Madison, and I'll see you again in two weeks. Hello, my name is Josh Madison, and I record a podcast called Denver Orbit. This podcast is the thing that you hear in your headphones, so you put it into the music player, and then it comes out in your headphones, and then you're ah, with a podcast like that. That's your reaction. I'm doing your reaction. Goodbye. Hey.